My name is Chandelin. I am a mother, an artist, a recovering addict, and this podcast is part of my endless pursuit of breakthroughs. Yeah, okay, well, I guess we're, we're back here podcast, and we're recording once again for Breakthroughs. With Chandelin. Yeah, and we also have a special guest, David Gobble. Hey da- there. David Gobble or David G? I don't know, what do you want to... David Guggenheim. <laughs> David, David Guggenheim. Well, I'm David G on Facebook, and I'm Inspirational Dave everywhere else. Inspirational underscore Dave. Okay, sweet. That's a good, uh, everybody can find him. And um, the reason, so let's start with the reason, um, the reason that David is joining us is because I begged for it. it he begged. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. During the, uh, so Shanda is now post, um, obviously with the crowdfunding campaign and all that stuff that, that uh, we were doing there for a while. Um, uh, David helped uh, sponsor a song and a podcast. And so, we thought we would have him on and hear his story. You have a very interesting story and it's actually um, kind of pertains to breakthroughs um, in a cool way. And so we thought we would get into that. And then also you have a Christmas song that you want to kind of talk about to a, yeah. a little bit. Um, so yeah, welcome to the podcast. Oh wait, there's no cameras. You can't <laughs> see me waving. Okay. Yeah, he is waving. I really like David. Yeah. David is somebody special. He's authentic, and he has some some sta- some stable morals. And uh, you know what? He has something to give spiritually as well. So I think it's a multitude of reasons why David is here. Yeah. Do you want to talk? Um, we I guess we could talk about the song that you sponsored later. But let's yes. get into uh, maybe a little bit of your story. How did you? F- let's let's go way back. Um, but I guess what we're going to do is maybe go for what was a breakthrough for you in your story? And I, I don't know Prison. how we get there. Prison? Yeah, yeah that was a pretty go. big breakthrough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, well. How'd you get to prison? Let's start oh, there. Yeah. Well, um, I hit a cop. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I was a drug addict in my young age. Um, young young age. I was until the ripe old age of about, you know, 35 um, I, I just lost control. I had a very colorful childhood. I was raised in the 50s and 60s. Things were different then than they are now. So that maybe played a part in some of the things that I did or didn't do later on. I ended up uh, using a lot of cocaine. Um, started out making a lot of money, and then I started using the product, and then started out you know, getting rid of all everything that I had from the money. Ended up just being um, an addict. It's not very glamorous. wasn't much fun. I uh, ended up, you know, after a series of horrible decisions, I ended up getting busted and uh, getting convicted of uh, trafficking in cocaine. I got a light sentence there, 3 to 15, because they knew I wasn't selling to make money. Um, that's where my life changed, that's for sure. I can tell you that. The very first night in the jail cell after, you know, you get sentenced and the sparks shoot out your butt, because uh, it sure feels like that when a, a judge tells you that your freedom is gone. Um, I was in a six-by-nine cell by myself, and uh, in shoots a little bit of, of uh, tobacco, a pack of papers, and a Bible. Those are the three things that came under the door. So I used all three of them. 
And I started reading the Bible and I fell asleep and I had this really weird dream. Actually, I can remember it to this day. It's very clear to me. I was running from a tiger and the tiger well, over, overtook me, you know, quickly, of course. And I thought I was going to die. I remember being afraid. And, but instead of that, it just kind of played with me like I was a big toy, uh, tossed me around a bit. But I remember never being hurt. And after it, you know, kind of touched me, I wasn't afraid anymore. And I ended up kind of laying on it, and I was petting it, and I can honestly still feel the fur in my hands when I was doing it. And I heard a voice, and I take this for what it is. You know, everybody hears voices. Some of us take medication for it. But, <laughs> but I heard a voice that said that no harm would come to me while I was there, and that turned out to be true. And in the 27 months that followed, my life dramatically changed which looking back now was like lightning quick, but you know, 27 months is 27 months. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was uh, over two years then. Pardon me? It, over two years you were Yeah, in. it was 27 months. Uh, what was it? 27 months, nine weeks, 10 days, uh, nine hours and 32 minutes. Yeah, you probably. Yeah, I forgot the second. So. I was going to say, yeah, that's uh, that's really precise. Oh, that's That's pretty incredible. So when you heard the voice in the dream, did you believe? Oh, yeah. You believed right off the bat that you wouldn't no no harm. Well, you know, but you know, you're tested constantly. I mean, like that was in receiving, so you're by yourself there for about a month, and you end up with a bunkie, and there's nothing that really can happen. But you know, um, the set of circumstances that led me to Lima, which is where I spent my time, it's closed now. But I walk into a ten man annex, and the first guy to shake my hand is this guy about six four, had just built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Walks up to me, grabs my hand, goes, hey there, I'm Velvet, I'm your bunkie. Well, I thought I was dead. I really did, because I told myself that, you know, there were certain things I wasn't going to let happen no matter what. So I'm, like, getting ready to square off with this guy and knowing that I'll be dead within, you know, two, three minutes. And everybody else starts laughing. Well, it was a big joke, you know. they. Uh, I don't know how it happened, but I ended up in a privileged 10-man annex which made a lot of other people angry because they were in the dormitory. It was dormitory living there. And it just, that's the way my whole sentence went. Nothing ever happened to me. I ended up being a chaplain's clerk, which put me in a position to help a lot of people, which put me in a position to not be harmed by anyone because a lot of people come through there. You know, your dad dies or your mom dies or something. You need a phone call from the chaplain. I'm the guy you saw. I got him extra phone calls and stuff. It gave me privilege out walking around. People would not bother me. And you can't see me now, but, you know, I'm six foot. Well, not anymore, but at that time I was six <laughs> foot, and I weighed about 150 pounds soaking wet. I was fair of face and had little body hair. I looked like a, you know, candy bar to those people, but <laughs> I was I was never harmed. You never had the once. favor of God. Well, of course it is. Uh, I would... But I knew from the beginning that there was nothing to doubt, even though, you know, you get tested. Like I said, I was scared to death when that guy looked at me, and there were some other incidents that happened that scared me, but I held my ground, and it passed. So what did you do the day that you got out of prison? Oh, got sick on the ride home. <laughs> got car sick going home. My At that time, wife and my young daughter, who, you know, is obviously not young anymore, picked me up. And um, they had to go into McDonald's because I couldn't get out of the car. I was too afraid. And uh, I went home, and I sat on a couch for a while, like two days, and got my bearings. And I remember the first time I, well, the mail in the trailer park we lived in at the time, the mail, we had a mailhouse down at the front. It was probably a five-minute walk. 
Well, that was the first time I'd walked anywhere without somebody telling me where I mm. was going. I got about halfway back, and I was weeping like a little baby. I was. Mm. I was just, I lost it completely because I was so overwhelmed by the reality that I was really free. And then, you know, a lot of other realizations happen to you through the course of things, too. You realize that when you're in prison, you're really free. I mean, I was, I was freer there than I ever was before, but it was because of the Lord, nothing else. How did you... Uh... What, like, what was it like getting busted? Like, how did you get busted? Oh, if you don't mind me begging. Well, I, I was to the point with cocaine use where I started smoking it. So I, my perception of, you know, anything was basically gone. Another person at the factory I worked at had gotten themselves in some trouble and were told if they didn't give them someone, they were going down. So they decided to give them me. Hmm. And that's how it happened. So, did, like, but did they come knocking at your door, or what? Well, was no, that? they set me up, set me up with a buy, you know, meet me, go get the stuff, and um, I was a dutiful little drug addict. I did what I want, and I broke my stash out and took a big old line and got back and got run off the road, and you know, spent the next forty-eight hours in jail, waiting mm-hmm. for to. I got bailed out. My dad bailed me out, and then he cried like a baby in the car when when he picked me up. Which let me tell you what kind of an effect that can have on you. Yeah, And then the process after that, it was all terrible. But like I said, from the moment that I had that dream, from there on, everything changed. It was like immediately inside of me changed. Mm-hmm. But it took, well, it's still changing now, to be honest. But it takes maybe the rest of your life, I'm not sure, maybe the rest of mine for sure, for everything else to line up with the change that occurred in me decades ago. When you were in prison... You said uh, you had told me that you had read some books and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, what what did you? I mean, what did you do to pass time? What was it kind of? Oh well, at first, um, I tried everything. You know, they had a track, so I tried running a six minute mile. Almost died. Um, I spent a day with all the other you know jock guys in the lock. Went down to the gym, did everything they did, and then couldn't move for about six days. I couldn't hold my <laughs> arms down; they would float up. And, of course, everyone else there knows you're sore, so they come by and pat you on the back or Charlie Horse, you're in the leg. or yeah, yeah. So, you know, but that's just the way it is in there. And the strange thing about that is when people are doing that stuff to you and they're not, like, really hurting you, that's a sign that they like you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. right. It is. It really is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I'm agreeing because I, I think if they, uh, yeah, they're, like, being playful about it. Yeah. Like, they're <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, it hurts, man. And yeah. I had a top bunk. Uh-huh. And I, you know, and you can't ask anybody for help. So I look like the old guy I portray trying to get up into the top bunk for about a <laughs> week. And everybody's like, hey, we'll give you a hand. <laughs> <laughs> so working out and work. So what did you ultimately well, then do? I just, I just uh, did my due diligence. I read my Bible every day and I, I really developed a relationship with Christ. I realized that he was walking the halls and, you know, it's uh, prison, at least from my perception, it was not a gray area. There's no gray middle of the road like we create out here with all our BS. It's black and white. You're on this side or you're on this side. And that's the way it is. And, you know, I chose to stay on Christ's side. And it, it's almost like there was an impervious uh, barrier that protected the, you know, there's real people. Of course, everybody starts out. I started out the same way everybody else does. You didn't do it. You were, you know, you were hit hard. You were, it was unjust. So you spend the first couple of months trying to figure out how to get out. Well, then when you realize that's not going to happen, you have to form some kind of a plan. And my plan, like Brennan said, I, I read some good books, the Bible. I read a lot of old, old preachers, 
Uh, I listened to John Osteen, who is uh, Joel Osteen's dad, who I will say John Osteen was a fire and brimstone preacher, really, really delivered, unlike some other people today. Um, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, if it wasn't for him, I probably never would have finished, you know, stayed in music, but he inspired me just through listening to his songs to keep playing music. So there was a lot of inspiration there, but it's nothing that comes to you. You got to seek it out. And to me, that that whole thing in jail was like biblical because it was like literal in the desert, struggling with the devil and angels and stuff. It was like the Bible came alive and became real. It right. Became, you know, and I put myself in that position and thank God the Lord led me out of it. So when you got out, what did you feel like God was leading you to do with the rest of your life? Your freedom's back, like all of it's sinking in. What was the call? Well, I, there was no question. I was sitting on the couch praying one day, and I was like, you know, after all of that, I said, well, I know I can help people because I, you know, through all the process of all this, I'm sure you've experienced, you talk to all these counselors, have absolutely no experiential knowledge. Everything they know is from a book, and they're asking you stupid questions like how you feel, which really is impertinent. It's just an offsetting question. There's things like that. So you start to realize, you know, I could really actually do some good. So I sat on my couch praying for a ministry. And once again, I heard that old voice, don't have me committed. But it said, you want a ministry? Get up. So I got up, walk over there and open the door. So I opened my door, my front door. And the voice said, your ministry starts right here. So yes. that's where I started it. I started helping my neighbors, and it slowly reached out. I started helping my friends, made new friends, made experiences, tried to put other people first, although that's really hard to do. It really is. But I try to do it every day. I try to make sure that my friends stay my friends because you know, I, I treat them like I want to be treated. And I just try to do that every day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. It just it made me realize First of all, how fragile life is. Second of all, how real the heaven and hell thing is. You know, people can say whatever they want, but I lived what I lived, and I know what I know. Right. Know? Um, now, th like, I don't know how much, you know, we're at liberty to say with, you know, where you're at now and, like, what you're doing now um, in terms of, you know, I don't want to put out a bunch of, you know, too personal information. Maybe what a recent breakthrough. Well, I was going to say... Um, Recent breakthrough, but even before that, because there's more to the story. I don't think that Shanda's heard to this, because um, because David had told me, you've told me at times, or like in the past, because David, we've been friends for I don't know, it's been seven years, maybe almost ten, seven, and yeah, it's been a while. Because just kind of my my um, studio past was seven with, years, and we were together a couple of years before that. Yeah, yeah. So David. Um, was a client at my studio, like at my old house. And my old house was uh, like this little studio, like two nine by 11 rooms. And David came there to record uh, like karaoke songs, um, like the first time. And he asked me, you know, if I, he, he said he wanted to get a manager and some stuff. And he asked me for some advice and I gave him some advice and he didn't like it. And then he didn't talk to me for like a year. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> like, who in the hell is this kid telling me what the, <laughs> and then, you know, I mulled over it for, you know, I'm usually pretty quick to, to reason things out. Like Brennan said, it was about a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so then after, like after a year had passed, um, and I don't remember what like broke the ice again, but we ended up, uh, I think you came back and recorded again or something. I think we did the Christmas song, actually, and my dad. 
Was it? Okay. Yeah. So there were a couple things that I think you had said like, hey, you know, we did the karaoke thing before, but do you produce and something? And then we got into that. And then um, there were just a bunch of things that happened. Um, but in that time period, uh, I think you had told me about your dad. Like you had this r- weird relationship with your oh, dad. Oh, yeah. Because you, you said that like, so you had, you just mentioned that the first song that you came, the first songs that you came back and wanted help like producing was the Christmas song that we're going to be talking about today, but then My Dad, which yeah. was about your dad. He had Alzheimer's. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with your dad and, oh, yeah, and how it was... kind of impacted you later? Because I think that's part of the big picture story. Oh, yeah. My dad, um, you know, he was a hard man. He worked hard all of his life. He was very dedicated to his work. And he had a real frustrating life, which caused him to be, you know, hard on me. Uh, and I was kind of the, the one at the bottom of the stairs holding the bucket waiting for the old poo to come down. You know, that's just the way it worked out. So we had a very tumultuous relationship all the way growing up and always at each other's, um, you know, teeth, basically. You know, we'd, and, you know he, he would do things and I would be upset and I'd do things. And that was our relationship for a long, long time. I know a lot of you have had relationships with your, with your parents like that. But uh, then... Uh, I got married, and then I got involved with drugs. And, you know, even though he disagreed with literally everything I ever did, he never turned his back on me, not one time. He made it clear what he didn't like, and he could have, he could make you feel like crapola sometimes, you know, but he never once turned his back on me. Like I said, I was at the dregs of my life, and he went and got 50 grand and bailed me out. And it wasn't, 50 grand wasn't easy money back then. Yeah. And and he was always like that. And, you know, when I got divorced from my wife, he came to me and said, you know, if you stay married to her, I'll pay all your bills off because, you know, you're supposed to be miserable in marriage. And I said, no, so he disowned me. So we were just falling out completely. And um, uh, the disowning thing happened after prison because that's when my first wife and I split up. And it went on like that for a while. Well, I ended up by myself alone delivering pizza and doing some other things. And um, never said anything. And then one day, and I mean, you know, one day out of nowhere, there's a knock on the door, and it's my dad standing there with a bag, has $11,000 cash in it. He wants to talk. Well, the way this came about is when he disowned me, he, he told me, you know, because my ex-wife was telling him all these things that I was doing, which really weren't true. And uh, he was telling me all that, and I told him, and I said, you know what? I said, and sometime down the road, you're going to come and you're going to apologize to me for these things. He said, I said, because you're going to find out what the truth really is. Well, yeah, that, that went over well, <laughs> you know? And so, but it was like five, maybe six years later to the day that we had that discussion, he showed up at my door and wanted to talk. And he, he had said, and my dad was not a man to apologize. And he apologized to me. He said, I, I was wrong in how I treated you and stuff. And, and my dad was a godly man. He was hard. He had a hard life, and he was hard on other people because of it. But that man was on his knees every morning and every night until he couldn't do it anymore. And I know that because I saw it. And, and he just was that way. And he showed up then, and we talked, and I went from being, like, outcast to his best friend. He was my biggest fan. He hated music. He hated the songs I wrote before. After we had that talk and stuff, he was the guy that was encouraged me to come to see Brennan. He was the guy that encouraged me to do the things I was doing if it wasn't for my dad. 
trust me, this would not be here. It's that simple. I mean, he, he's amazing, and um, I think that his turnaround and his attitude toward me, well, that's totally the Lord, too. There isn't any part of this story that the Lord hasn't, you know, reigned over and changed. There's not one bit of it. Well, he, um, didn't you say, too, that there was, like, a time, though, where in there where you started to, like, because I don't know if, how much you want to talk about the money part of it. We could always cut this out, I guess. Oh, you no, did, you're fine. Um, if you didn't want to, but, like, um, you know, just like how your relationship with money had changed because like you, you didn't have any, you, oh, yeah. you had nothing, you were delivering pizzas. And then you said at one point, like with your ministry thing, you know, you, you wanted a ministry and then, you know, you heard the voice to go, just start at your door. And you told me the story one time where you were literally just putting, um, whatever you had extra, yes, I like, remember. like in a, a, a jar, a, like yeah. a, co- a coin jar right. basically. And you would just put whatever you had left in there. And you would always be making um, donations to like, something, yeah, charities or churches yeah. or you know whatever, um, just to just to do something good, you know, just to do something positive. And that's when you had nothing. Well, that came about too because you know I you, I I think a lot of people do this too. I I did it for a long time. I made the excuse that I didn't have money to give, but I felt led to give, and I was like, well, it's okay, you know, I'll just give of my time. And I'll give of the, and I did that. I did that. I gave of my time, and I did these things, but I still felt lacking. I still felt like it wasn't right. And um, it's not because of some scripture I read or anything. It's just because I, uh, my guardian angel and the spirit just kind of basically told me, you know, you need to understand the principle of giving. And and the thing about when you don't have crap and you're given, you're not expecting anything back because you just don't. You know that's because. You don't. I don't know how to explain why, but you really don't. And that created in me a humbleness that grew into wanting to do more. Right. And that grew into wanting to help other people. That grew into, you know, showing up to a friend of mine one day and saying, we need to do this project, you know. And my my true motivation, I took a lot of crap for it at the time, but my true motivation was to give other people the chance that I didn't give myself. And here I have all of a sudden I fall ass backwards into this inheritance from my father and I wanted to do something to honor his name. So I've tried to make sure that, you know, the, the money the money that I spend, I spend enhancing the things that, you know, I feel that I'm a part of. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm living in a shed and have nothing, <laughs> but I don't feel that I live extravagantly or take away from other people because honestly, I don't want to do that. You know, I, and I don't really try to be generous because I want people to think I'm cool because honestly, anybody that knows me will tell you that most people don't know what I'm doing because I don't tell anybody. I just do it because it says in the Bible, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't say anybody about God loves a giver that wants attention. Don't let your <laughs> right. left hand know what your right hand is giving. Yeah. I will, yep. t- I will tell you, um, and I'm sorry, we're not letting Shanda say much. But <laughs> no, it's okay. Oh, yeah, she's, she's running this. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, hon. I, I just wanted to share, though, some of my, because I, I have more experience with Shanda. I introduced Shanda to David and likewise um, because I thought that there was some synergy in terms of, like, what you guys were into and, and things. Um, but my experience with David, there was a couple of things, because um, as you're talking about um, as you're talking about giving in these things and, and not being – uh, like outwardly, l- like loud about what you're doing. I, um, the first time David came to my house, 
he showed up in a Ford 500. I tell this story all the time. I love to tell it. I think I told Shannon this. Like he showed up in a Ford 500, which was like a really like a pretty nice car at the time. But I mean, you had a, a push mower in the trunk. And it was like sticking out of the trunk. And then you pulled up to our house. And I think you were like either wearing a tank top or like no shirt. You might not have been wearing a shirt. And, I'm sorry. Um, and <laughs> it was really funny because I was, and then you're like, I'm here for my recording and stuff. And I was like, who is this? Like, who is this person? And, um, but during that time, once we had, after you had come back and you you got over the advice that I gave you, um, which was which was really I can tell you what the advice was. It was just to not worry about getting a manager and these things. Like do the things that you can do and do music. You because, have a specific type of personality, so yeah. it does align. It does align. Makes a lot of sense in the story. <laughs> Brennan will just tell you just straight out, like don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. This is just so simple, but it comes off abrasive yeah. to people that do not know you. They're like, yeah. "What? They don't like, it, who's yeah. this guy? Why is he do- what?" And it just you're just so stark about it. There's not a lot of cushion language yeah, yeah. when you give news to people. Yeah, just more know. straightforward. Yeah, he's not gonna burp. You. I've I've uh, yeah. come to know Brennan, so like I expect it. But anybody, like I introduced uh, a friend before, and and um. Wow, he gave that person some, you know, like it, it switched up a few things that made sense and uh, they just could, they did not handle it well. You know, <laughs> so. I think, um, I think especially with this, I, like I feel like music and, and what we're doing and all the, all these things, um, you know, it's my life calling and I have a duty to when somebody shows up to help um, and help them. And yeah. sometimes helping somebody isn't just doing whatever they say. Sometimes helping them is giving them, you know, the tough, the honest, the tough, you know, like reality of the situation. And it's not that, um, it's not tough in terms of like, if you think you can make it, just like you, Shanda and David. And David, I didn't say to David he should stop making music. I said, make music because you want to. Like, take the expectations out of somebody else's hands because that will lead to disappoint, uh, disappointment. And, um, and, uh, you know, and just like for you, Shanda, like when you're making music, like, you know, I'm not going to tell you you can't do it. I think you absolutely can. But if you're going to, then there's certain things that have to happen so that you can make it a reality. Um, and same for me. Like, I, and you guys have both, you guys have both been honest with me about, you know, my things. I, I just believe in relationships like that, you know. Yeah. But it, I think also I will say that, um, when I've had when I've when I start relationships like that, what, two things happen: either one, the person goes away and is really upset with me, and I never hear from them again, <laughs> <laughs> which almost happened with David. Um, but on the other hand, uh, when you start relationship with honesty, like that's a great place to start. You know, that's a great place to have a relationship and honesty when it's tough. And I think that, like for me, when it's when it comes to music, music is so personal that that's what makes it hard. But for yeah. me, you know, it's it's vitally important that you do it in a way that's going to set you, you. If you're telling me you want to do some specific thing, like David was like, I, I didn't get a chance to do music throughout my whole entire life, and I want to be able to do it now. And I'm like, well, why why worry about a manager? Like, what are they going to do for you? And you're going to put all this time and effort into getting one person really into it when you could just literally just make music and give it to people and and be give, and 
eliminate that thing. And then if you do that and you do it well enough, maybe somebody will want to to try to help you in that way. But I wouldn't worry about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, but anyways, uh, you know, this was this was the when I first started, you know, working with David. Um, and once David had come back, you know, once he had sat with this the advice. The prodigal David. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. <laughs> once, once David kind of came back, or however we reconnected, I don't remember how exactly it was. Um, one of the things that happened was David said, um, hey, uh, I, I, I bought some Pro Tools and whatever, and I, brought, I bought Pro Tools for to record some stuff. If Pro Tools is recording software, if anybody doesn't know what that is. And uh, he was putting like a home studio together, and he'd asked me, um, there was something, there was something buzzing or something in it, and he wanted help looking at it. And I was like, sure, you know, um, you know, because he, he ended up living like really nearby, you know. So I was like, this is fine, yeah, I'll go and help you. And I went there, and you were living in this trailer park, um, in across town, and like when I got there. It was kind of this, um, you know, it was kind of weird, you know, because I had never, I didn't, I didn't know you that well, you know, and uh, so I go in and I like, you know, do a little bit of unplugging things and plugging things back in. And I figured out what it was, and I had been there for maybe I don't know, it was like, you know, fifteen or twenty minutes. It wasn't very long, and we had fixed the problem. And I said, "There you go," and and you tried to. Uh, I remember you're like, wow, that's great. Like you were excited. And then you said, uh, well, here's like 20 bucks, you know? And I was like, nah, don't worry about it because I know that, uh, you know, maybe you'll come back and record or, you know, whatever. And I was like, you know, an ongoing friendship is better than a one-time, you know, 20 bucks. And, um, you know, I look back on things like that and I, maybe it's not have anything to do with, you know, I guess relating to one another, but, you know, I don't know at that point, those were kind of some relationship deposits that were made, and that was just one of many things like that. Um, well, yeah, I think a lot of it, it's like a catalyst. Yeah. One thing happens, and it generates something else, which generates something else, and it just kind of goes down like a domino effect in a sense. But, yeah, I I think you're right. I think those things all help set the stage one by one, you know, because it cements the relationship. And then... um you know, lo and behold, one day some guy shows up at your door and says, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So the, the, then to kind of continue this story for anybody that doesn't know, David, then um, we built a relationship. And over the next like two years, like we had uh, next year, we had re- recorded a bunch of stuff. And yeah. and at one point, David said, "You, hey, have you ever thought about doing the studio, uh, doing a bigger studio? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I've, I've dreamt of it my whole life, but you know, I wouldn't have any way of knowing how to, I wouldn't have any way of doing it because I didn't have any money. And um, and he was like, you know, I think, you know, I think I want to help you try it. Well, you know, I didn't really, and I guess this is an important part of the story is that, you know, like I didn't know that you had any money and I wasn't trying to, um, you know, I think sometimes people think that, you know, when you're slick or something that you can work business relationships. This was literally like, I was in your trailer helping you set up Pro Tools <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you lived in a trailer. I would have no idea that you would have had money that you had gotten to to do something like this. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't like a. It wasn't like a. Yeah, there was like this thing, and I somehow manipulated the situation to to do it. It was literally like I was trying to do right by you. 
and that even meant um, giving you tough, tough advice that ended up being, you know, the start to like this whole thing. I guess that's another whole example of, you know, I don't know, just uh, honest relationships. Yeah, right? just honest relationships, right? Truth is the greatest act of love when you boil it down, right? Yeah. Like that's why I've been learning, and I'm kind of like side note dating ish. And by that, I mean talking to people I wouldn't generally talk to on a regular basis, regular-ish, right? And it's like, I I could see the draw of wanting to kind of dance around the truth with, like, strangers or just, like, because you don't really want to, like, be, I mean, it's kind of cuts straight through a lot of things to be extremely honest, like, I'm not interested in small talk or like I'm not, I don't, does this align with full truth when I'm responding to somebody? Like it's very difficult if they have interests that I'm not interested in. Well, now I can't pretend to be interested in it because that's a lie. (laughs) So the truth is difficult, but it's the greatest, it's love. Like that's how you genuinely love people. You do things out of a place of truth, right? And it's also not, like this is something I've learned that I've applied to my life. Sorry, I'm taking over for a second. No, you're good. It's your podcast. I can't <laughs> I can't agree to do things that I don't want to do because then that forms resentment, right? So the truth would be no, I don't want to do that. But that's difficult to do. Who wants to do that? But in the end, that's more loving than agreeing to something, then growing a resentment because now you've you've done that out of a exactly. place. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's it's that brutal truth. And I think, you know, uh, biblically, like the whole this whole dimension was spoken into existence by the truth, right? God is the truth, right? So that means like interwoven into the fabric of our reality is that truth. And when we speak nothing but truth, or at least we don't lie, that's Jordan Peterson's principle, uh, speak the truth, but if at the very least don't lie. It aligns things here in this reality that we can't see are forming together. And guess what a lie does? It, um, it's a seed, and at some point you will harvest that. Like yes. you're going to harvest it, whether it's seven years from now or you know. And I've learned that to be really careful. And so, although I'm tempted with all these strangers to lie to continue conversation or to like spare feelings, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's always more convenient to kind of not share exactly how you feel and what you think. Um, but I know that that's not fruitful, and that that, that then your foundation is obliterated before you could even begin it. Yeah, really. I mean, so it's that's one of the most difficult things I found in life. But one of the that's the most loving thing you can give somebody. Exactly, is yeah. the truth. I think um, in terms of with with what happened with David, um, you know, there is this feeling, and especially when I was younger. When I was younger, and somebody said, like, um, you know, and and they would come in and want. Um, you know, I, was, I guess I was just way more concerned about them liking me, I guess. Right. And you still want to give the real tough, you want to have the tough conversations, but you still want to be liked, you know? And truth be told, I think when David didn't come back, I was like, well, that sucked. <laughs> you know what uh, I yeah. mean? Because I, I just felt like I was really just giving um, my, my advice and my opinion. And, um, you know, you just hope that, 
you know, and I was doing it from a place of, uh, you know, trying to help him get what he said he wanted, but you know, and it, it just required a tough conversation. And it, like the more that the older I got, the more that I felt like that was, ne- you know, necessary because it is. this is the fruits yeah. of that honesty. Yes. Of that honesty. Well, like, and then the, the truth is offensive to those that don't want to hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. That's, that's, there's some wisdom in that for sure. Because yeah, I, I know that, um, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's just, uh, like the, there's always that fear that when you're honest with somebody, then that's going to end it. Right. So like when you're talking with new people and you meet somebody new and you're like, well, I like Star Trek and they're like, well, I hate Star Trek, but I like Star Wars. <laughs> and if you have too many like of those sort of things, which that shouldn't be a deal breaker on anybody's relationships, but it does end up being, um, you know, the type of thing that people are like, oh, I don't want to say that I you and you see it all the time in sitcoms and stuff, you know, but, but just- the Oh, sorry. Guys. I was just going to say the more that you continue to like pretend to like something that you don't really like, you know, it's just like it's going to blow up at some point. It's going to come out at some point, you know, yeah. and then that's going to destroy whatever you ended up making anyways. Humans fundamentally cannot stand deception. When like let's say to the great, one of the greatest infidelity, the feeling even on the smallest level of deception of somebody saying they like something that you did. Let's say I show you a song and you say you like it, but it's not actually the best it could be. Then you like, I mean, it, there, it, just why? I mean, why would people be so offended and like wounded and what's the word? Um, resentful towards somebody that has been deceitful with them. Unless like it, it had a greater meaning, like that's the effects. That's the that's one of that's one of the fruits of the seeds of deception. Is like that feeling, it, like gets into your deepest core when you found out you've been deceived. Like it's it's a different altogether feeling than yeah, other violated. things right. violated. Right. Yes, violated, betrayed. Like. Why is that? Because this reality was woven together with truth. That's why it affects you so much. You think a monkey cares if you lied to it? <laughs> it doesn't. There is no effect. But there's something. I'm telling you what. This is for a different podcast. But um, I'll, <laughs> no, go down, I'll go down a rabbit hole. I really will. I will. You know, um, there was something I wanted to add to that, which was, um, if I can remember what my train of thought was, um, um I I, pro- I can't now. I I'm sorry time. about no. that. No, you're fine. Because well, I was bouncing off of what you said, and I just I lost what it was. Um, monkeys that, that wouldn't care if that was the monkey. It was the monkeys comment. I had a thought. It was gone now. Um, but yeah, I I think. Uh, oh, I know what it was. I was going to just basically add to this, just capping off kind of the um, conversation about the honesty part of this, but. Like, it's not like I was going around giving, I, I don't go around giving people my, my opinions about their, about everything that they do. This is like something. Yeah, I, not on I, I, I do, asked. I do this with music because I asked. it's the, well, and it's also the only <laughs> place that I feel like, um, because I've spent my entire life doing it and I, I, yeah. And you're coming to me and asking me and like, that's where I'm like going to give you whatever. Um, and I'm not going to just crush anybody when I say anything mean. I just told David to make music that he likes for himself and not put so much of his emphasis on what other people think of it in terms of like, you know, getting a manager. So anyways, um, so with all that being said, 
you, um, so you had this relationship with your dad and, you know, it ended up being really cool. I thought as part of your story that, you know, um, there was a little bit of this money thing that even when you didn't have money and I think you had said that maybe your dad noticed that or something about you. Um, and you know, he, he felt, didn't he, didn't he like say at one point too, he kind of threatened you that like you weren't going to see any inheritance or something. There oh, was yeah, a part he just of told me. There was no, it wasn't nothing When he that. disowned you, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, he was just like, you're never going to get. Yeah, you're not going to get a cent. And I said, I told him to keep it. Yeah. And yeah, and then, you, you know, he ended up giving it to you, which is yeah. a really cool story. Well, like I said, it was the Lord. The Lord changed me completely, um, changed my attitude. And I believe that, you know, when you change, things around you start to change. Yeah. Um, one of the things I said that I really believe, and a lot of people said it wasn't scriptural, and that was that, you know, my dad prayed for me. I had people praying for me, and I believe that those prayers are the reason that I got busted and I turned my life around. Now, I understand that the choice was mine to change, but I believe that the prayers of my parents and grandparents set up the opportunity oh, yeah. for me to make a choice. And mm -hmm. the opportunity was to get my ass thrown in jail. Mm -hmm. And, and um, the reticent rate's very high, so I'm somewhat of an anomaly for not going back. But I'm telling you what, that's a great place to learn. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to go through it again. It's not a school I want to go back to. Sure. But I learned lessons that I'll never forget. I, I met some of the wisest people in existence, I saw some horrible things, and I saw some miracles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a real grab bag of yeah. different things that to to experience. Like I said, the devil and the Christ walk the hall, not arm in arm, but they're there. Yeah, right. I have a question. If you had a platform and the whole world could listen to you for one minute, everybody in the world, like intently listening to you, what would be the one message you would give them? Put others first. Stop thinking you need stuff you don't need. Learn to really love. It's an actionable thing. It's not an emotion. You just had the platform for a minute there. <laughs> yeah, I've had that world, for seven years. I'm just uh, trying to get people to listen. That's all. <laughs> a part of, a so, part of it. With, so with that being said, if anybody that's listening wants to follow on Dave's journey, um, David's journey, um, or Dave? Do you, you want people to call you Dave or David? It doesn't matter. I've called you David for yeah. years. Then I like find myself calling you Dave sometimes. It, it, it doesn't matter. Inspirational underscore Dave. Yeah, that's, yes. that's uh, especially that TikTok. Go follow TikTok. over there. That's TikTok and Instagram is Inspirational Dave. One word. They wouldn't let me have the underscore. Oh, okay. And Facebook, I haven't changed yet because I totally screwed that up. <laughs> <laughs> so David still, um, so this is a place where David makes music and you put out like your inspirational messages, which is just kind of stuff like, you know, um, put put others first and mm -hmm. things that you're, um, what would you describe Inspirational Dave as? Like where did the idea come from? I just wanted to inspire people and it started with the front door. Yeah, and okay. the name just kind of popped up. I don't know. It was just kind of like music for any. It wasn't being used. Yeah, right. <laughs> you sure. know, inspirational underscore Dave wasn't being used, and it's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, it just made sense. Yeah, that's cool. So, TikTok inspirational underscore Dave, mm -hmm. 
and Instagram. It's just inspirational Dave, one word. Inspirational Dave, all one word. Go follow him. And then you also have a uh, Christmas song coming out right? Um, with a music video. And then this song you have, I think it was one of the first songs you recorded with me and then we're still like kind of revisiting it. Yeah. Do you want to tell a little, talk a little bit about that? Or? Well, actually we, uh, when Brendan was talking about his little house, that's where we recorded this. And it was, nev- <laughs> My little house. It was never re-recorded. North street. It was not re-recorded. We, th- we did a studio version of it at a school I was attending briefly, but that was unusable. <laughs> well, it actually, some of that stuff, we ended up fixing up. Yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. Brennan's a magician. That's that. That's the truth of it. I'm not blowing smoke here. He is. He he's kind of a wizard at what he does. But anyway, um, yeah, we took the song, and I just really liked the song. I wrote it in prison. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, I wrote that when I was there, and um, I, it just really stuck to me. And somebody heard it one time. And they said, you know, that should be like one of the Christmas songs that people, you know, hear, hear and play every year. And that just stuck with me. And, and you can, I was bugging Brennan for a while. I've been bugging you for seven years <laughs> to do it again. I was, I wouldn't yeah. let go of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of this year, I said, look, I'm willing to throw some money down to make this happen. And we had, we had a plan. We were going to get an orchestra and we were going to do all this stuff. And then we sent the uh, music off to a friend of ours named Joni, who was, she does string sections. I, I, if you get an opportunity to hear the song, you'll understand what I'm saying. She took the song and and just eliminated the need to do anything else to it at all. Yeah, she she does string arrangements. Yeah, and, and she, and she like, just yeah. turned it. It was a good song, and and she turned it into like a work of art, really. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, she well, really yeah, made I, the song I wondered what she was going to do to it, and then she ended up just really knocking it out of the park with the yeah. string arrangement, and and then Edward Scissorhands over here, you know, he. Um, I kid him about that because he'll take a project and you know pull the scissors out and just shear it to shit. <laughs> but then you come back with something better, and I've learned to trust him. If he tells me something needs to be done, I'll just do it. I don't even think twice about it. I really <laughs> okay. don't. I do not like Christmas music normally. Didn't mean to cut you off. That's okay. But I heard David's song. Brennan showed it to me before I ever met Dave. And I was like, this is good and i don't like christmas music the only other christmas song i like only one is mary did you know which i just covered right yes, but which like you can also check outside out. of that i genuinely liked his song and it wasn't like if if it's between me and brennan you know i could have been like oh you know maybe <laughs> like right. i mean what was the sense of lying it's just me and brennan you weren't in the room but i i remember like yes. really liking that and i was like this is good so i can understand why you pushed I'm going to give a little story, and then I'll just not talk after this, possibly. (laughs) Release Me is a song that means a lot to me that I wrote in the darkest time of my life. Brennan didn't latch onto it too much. I mean, honestly, it's like four-something minutes long. It's not music theory worthy, right? But I had that feel like this has to be done. This has to be done. Like this song... And wouldn't you know that that's the song that gets put out where I'm I'm having people reach out. One dude got it tattooed on his neck, um, <laughs> but it's the song that has like broken the most chains off of people. Like they've had supernatural, godly experiences after listening to it. Um, it's almost beating not one more now. I just found that out today. Uh, so it's almost the top streamed song that I have. Um, and that was that radical pushing 
belief in it. Like, no, this is something special because outside of like what's musically good, which I think is important to do, and that's where Brennan Harness is a lot of stuff, there's something that you you can't quantify, that you can't improve on. Like, it's the message, it's the underlying thing behind all of the music and some songs, and it's rare for them to have that thing that, like, and it, it'll give you that feeling, like, no, but it's got to be doing, like, it's outside of me. Sorry, it's out of my hands. Like, I don't know what to tell you, but it's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be. And I, I feel like I, I relate to that. Just real smidge because I feel like I need to explain <laughs> I feel like I need to explain <laughs> this now because now typically like if somebody comes in and there's a song and it's like 4.30 it's like 4 minutes and 30 seconds 5 minutes long I'm going to say like hey let's trim this down oh, I understand because there's the not you know a lot of pop songs or a lot of songs out there that people are going to give 5 minutes to and that's just the reality of the world we live in. And so that's kind of like the feedback I think I gave you on, on Release Me. I was kind of like, okay, well, we could cut it down. But there's all these verses that all kind of need to be, like you were saying something specific and it meant a lot to you, and which is why, you know, we went with it and we still did it. Um, so, you know, there are times where it's like, yeah, just roll with it. I don't think on, on Christmas song, I didn't, like on David's Christmas song, I didn't do anything different. He was like, I, I, I love this song. How can I take what I had and just like make it better? And that's what we did. So it's like, you know, there are times where, you know, it's a little bit more like, hey, I have this idea and come in and then you're like, oh, well, we can shape this up in a lot of different ways. And there's other times where it's kind of like, you know, it just, it, you know, it's just enhancing what's there. And that's where the Christmas song was. That's what released me was. It was just like getting a good performance, getting the you know thing down. So yeah, and we actually got it all. It was really cool. I'm I'm very um, unprofessional when it comes to shooting a live video. I get nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know I just I'm, <laughs> I don't know why he puts I'm, the camera straight in your face. I'm ridiculous. <laughs> so much of your face well, right this, there. Yeah, well, camera. I can't, I, you can't fix that. You know what so. I'm finding out is how much of an uncomfortable person I am. I make you guys so uncomfortable. No, no. What are you talking oh, about? Yeah, when no. you have to be on video or something or on oh, camera? Yeah, like, yeah so well, that's what yeah. we're talking about right now. Yeah. You're not uncomfortable. Gosh, please don't misperceive. Yeah. I think you're honest and it's funny. I like your personality. <laughs> Clearly, we're still both here. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. And know? what I was gonna say is that. It wasn't that way this time. Uh, you you might have noticed. I wasn't really nervous. I I yeah. was able to. I kept my timing good, you know. And, and most of the shots, most of the shots we we did, you know, with the usual sixty four takes. So it was <laughs> you know, it was much better. You know, speaking of that though, too, I think we only shot video for like, I mean, thirty minutes or something. Oh yeah, it totally. was like yeah. it was like quick. Fifteen yeah. twenty minutes on the shoot and about ten minutes on Dang, the shoot. Superstar, yeah, yeah. look at Superstar over there. No, no, no. It's just, <laughs> well, just that's good credit editing. to uh, credit to David and his wife Kathy. They put all these lights up and all these things and 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 made it look really oh, nice. Dope. And so it made it easy to shoot this this video for it and stuff. So, so yeah. So well, let's. I think we said everything that we need um, for breakthroughs this time. Um, and go check out uh, Inspirational Dave. On TikTok, we already said the thing, which is inspirational underscore Dave, and then inspirational TikTok. Dave on Instagram, all one word. But check out his uh, Christmas song. Um, Probably should tell them the name of it. The that Christmas it. song. Christmas song, yeah. yeah. And what? It's like straight up Christmas song. That's and, it. And Christmas song by Christmas Dave G. Song. Yeah. And you can, yeah, it'll be on Spotify and stuff. We it, hope 
that yeah. it'll be able to be played on TikTok. I have um, not been able to play any of my original music on there. They won't play it, even though it's on TikTok. There's one-minute versions of all the songs, but the full song they somehow won't allow to play. So we're going to try to work that out. So if it doesn't work on um, TikTok, then go to Instagram, please. Please. <laughs> yeah. There's probably, yeah, it sounds like maybe Shanda has a solution for that. But so the other thing is, too, I wanted to add. So check out David's song and then also check out um, Shanda's um, uh, Mary Did You Know. That will be up, too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is cool. One more thing. Yeah. David, do you want to end off with your favorite joke? David's a, a funny guy, so I thought I'd open up the opportunity to tell My a joke. Favorite joke? Yeah, I'm scared. I don't even know. I'm what scared. That is. I feel <laughs> you always have so many jokes that's, that seemed applicable. Wow, that's don't really, let me down. He oh God! Oh, I'm being slowly <laughs> let down. Oh, oh God! Wow. Do you know that Red China does have an advantage? Uh, it does. Goes great on a blue tablecloth. <laughs> what do you call a bear with no teeth, David? Huh? What a do you call a bear with no teeth? I don't know, Gumby. A gummy bear. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, that's uh, how many morons does it take to pop popcorn? Oh my gosh! How inspiring! Uh, no, I'm five. Just One holds the pan, the other four shake the stove. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my oh, God. David's awesome. You see, most of the jokes I I really couldn't tell in a podcast. <laughs> and most of the jokes I can't tell anymore because God would get really mad. <laughs> you, you learned them all in jail. Yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the dark side of jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, check out David's stuff, please. Yes. In the name of Jesus, listen. Now you have to. Anything you say, you ask in his name, it's got to be stuff. So, all of you listening. Check out his Christmas song. And then follow him on TikTok. Like, he's out there every day. Like I've said before, he's trying. It, no, he's not trying. He is doing something. And he's waking up every day with other people in mind. And not many people that I've encountered um, have that kind of character. And so that's something we should be supporting. Like, there are, quote, unquote, influencers out there that really are doing this for gain and for their their own, you know, motives. Everybody, we're all selfish. Don't get me wrong. Like we all have our desires and things like that. Um, but he's harnessed, you know, some selflessness there. And and those are the types of people that we should be getting behind and giving our social media support to. Like be conscious about your social media currency, which is your like and your follow that you're giving to people. Like be conscious about who you're giving that to. That's powerful. That's yes. where your power is on social media. So, uh, yeah. that, and I could make a whole separate podcast about that. We'll just start, boy. Leave it as it is. <laughs> well, thank you, Shanda. That's real yeah. nice. And I should say, you know, she's helped me a lot. It was a like godsend meeting her. Really, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, you know what we didn't talk but, about real quick? We could we we could talk about Tired Eyes because David sponsored a song, Tired Eyes, and we cut that with um with Austin Jux Chandler. And he came in the studio, and this is something. I guess that could be a whole other podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, I that's think we should whole do a whole other yeah. yeah, podcast big, on that. that that's will be exciting. That's no short there. explanation. Well, you'll have to tune in in the future to hear that whole story then. But that's a, that's for another time. But thanks, I love you guys. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, David, you for too. being thank you very here. Thank much for having me, Shanda. Thank you, Brennan. I'll talk to you after that we <laughs> still like you or that I still like you. <laughs> no, no need. I yeah. understand. 
All right. Yeah, the drone's not flying over anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Breakthroughs with me, Shanda Lynn. Make sure that wherever you're listening to your podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, that you subscribe to my podcast and check us out every Wednesday at 5 a.m. We'll have a new episode. Thank you for being here.